0: Welcome to the Teaching and Lectio podcast for The Abbey, a contemplative vineyard church in Columbus, Ohio.
1: You can find previous teachings and our contemplative reading of the
0: scriptures on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on our website at theabbeycolumbus.church.
1: There, you'll also find important announcements,
0: along with the location and time of our all-church gatherings and community groups throughout the city.
1: The Abbey is committed
0: to being a church that helps people notice and nurture the work of God in their own lives, in the lives of others, and in the world around us. Here's this week's message. Acts 11, 19 through 30 reads... So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks as well, preaching the good news of the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then, when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And considerable numbers were added to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers of people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and indicated by the Spirit that there would definitely be a severe famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And to the extent that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brothers and sisters living in Judea. And they did this, sending it with Barnabas and Saul to the elders.
1: Does that sound okay? Volume-wise, great. I don't think I'm going to be doing any shouting this morning, so I think we're going to be fine. Um, It's really good to be with you. Um, One quick thing before we get started, um, you know, as we continue to flesh out our our liturgy and how we operate sort of on a Sunday morning, um, just a a brief little teaching here. Um, As we read the scriptures in the front side, one of the things that we're going to continue to start leaning into is once... Uh, we read the scriptures, uh, somebody will say the word of the Lord, and then everyone says thanks be to God. So we'll say the, the word of the Lord, and you say thanks be to God. Okay, very good. Uh, it's good to be here together. This is our first all-church gathering of the new year. It feels like forever since we've been together, um, so it's really good to see uh, so many of your faces. Um, I just came back from vacation, so I feel amazing. Um, So we're going to continue our series on the kingdom of God uh, this morning. And the disciples were first called Christians in the cosmopolitan city of Antioch. And listen, this feels like a little bit of a throwaway line, doesn't it? It's like one of those pieces of trivia that you might think that could show up in Jeopardy or something like where What city did the first Christians uh, get their name? Um, But what I want to do a little bit this morning is I want to dive in a little deeper and to see what's actually behind that. There's actually something uh, a little deeper into this sentence, which is surrounded by a whole narrative of things that are going on that I want to dive in a little bit too. So Antioch, as a major city, had a reputation for all sorts of things. It was multinational because it was situated between the cities of the Western world and the cities of the Eastern world, and so what would happen is that people who were traveling from the West to the East, and people who were traveling from the East to the West, they would sort of converge in the city of Antioch, which is in modern-day Turkey. It was a destination city where entertainment and trade and all sorts of parties happened. And it was also a center of economic and military sort of development. So kind of like a headquarters for people who worked in the Roman Empire, Uh, Antioch was the capital of the Syrian province of Rome. And I know that you're like, why are we getting a history lesson? Just hang on here for a second. In order to sort of manage the details of the expansion of the Roman Empire, they sort of set up shop in this city called Antioch. Rome needed a headquarters, effectively, on the eastern side. And so in the Roman world, this city was sort of a big deal. It was like a Chicago or a New York or a Los Angeles And surrounding this city of Antioch were a few other cities, one of which was named Daphne. And so think about like a five-mile radius of this cosmopolitan city and all these little tiny cities around it, a couple different cities around it. And this particular city of Daphne, which is about five miles away, there was the practice of ancient cult religion that worshipped Artemis and Apollo, which are Greek gods. And there's a fairly large contingent of people worshiping the Syrian goddess of Astarte whose worship entailed ritualized prostitution. Lots of parties, lots of drinking, lots of like festivities and games around this sort of worship of these cultic gods. And so Daphne, five miles away, was like a weekend getaway for people who wanted to sort of engage in those kinds of things, a little you know, Friday night, we're going to head down, we're going to drink some yummy drinks, we're going to do our worship, we're going to spend, we're going to party over the weekend in Daphne. Does that make sense? So this is Antioch. This is sort of the makeup of Antioch. It was multicultural. It was just filled with all sorts of things. It was large, it was metropolitan, it was diverse, it was exploitive, and it was rowdy surrounded by people with great political power that people began to name the Jesus followers Christians. So there's a little discrepancy, whether it was the Christians themselves that took on the name, like, hey, we're the Christians, or whether it was the other people around them that that sort of named them. But what is clear is that enough was happening in this city as a result of people sharing the gospel that they began to name the group of people that were doing that activity, they began to name them the Christians. The people who loved one another and served one another and gave up their life for one another. People would be like, who are those people? And they would be like, oh, uh, they're, they're the people who follow Christus. They can't stop talking about this person named Christ. Those are the Christ people, the Christians. So I want you to hang on to all of that for a moment. We're going to come back to it. Um, This is the origin story of the term Christian. So we've been doing this series uh, since September, by the way, on the kingdom of God. If you have missed some of that series, you're welcome to go back and uh, lean into some of that a little bit through our podcast. Uh, We've been working through the book of Acts, which is the major theme in the book of Acts that the writer Luke announces at the beginning is this idea that the kingdom of God that Jesus preached about on the hillside outside of Jerusalem was now in the hands of the disciples, empowered by the Spirit, and it would move out from Jerusalem into the surrounding areas of Judea and into the rural areas of Samaria and the outermost parts of the earth like Ethiopia. And so, through the story that Luke tells, he tells the story about what is happening in the church with a climax in the life of a man named Stephen who preached the kingdom to religious and political leaders who then drag him out of the city and stone him to death. You guys remember that story? Maybe you've been reading along. I'd encourage you to maybe be reading along in the book of Acts to follow in our series. And so the kingdom and the presence of the message of Jesus is spreading. And even among the Gentiles, the non-Jewish folks in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit is falling on people. And Peter shares with them about the love of God being revealed to the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And this leads us to the end of what will feel like a very natural break in the story here in Acts chapter 11 before we move on to chapter 12. As we head into chapter 12, moving forward, the, the story basically says the kingdom just keeps going. And it's going to be a little bit of a deep dive into the lives of Peter and Paul as they expand the kingdom even further and further out. So if you read the book of Acts, it's like this concentric circle where the kingdom just keeps going and keeps expanding, eventually reaching people like, like me and Stanley and Scott, all of you. It just keeps expanding. So at the beginning of chapter 12, Paul is getting on boats and sailing around the Mediterranean. Peter gets arrested on a number of occasions, and we hear stories from Ephesus and Greece and Thessalonica and Macedonia. It's just this story of this expansive kingdom, the story of Jesus with men and women just like you and I, telling people about the radical kindness and the generosity of God to make known in plain sight what had formerly only been a mystery— which causes people like you and I to ask a few questions. Does God care about me? Does God still speak? Does God heal me? The kingdom is meant to answer these kinds of questions. Are you guys with me? These kinds of questions get answered in stories that Luke is telling through men and women regaining their sight, angels appearing in the middle of a town jail cell, and people seeing visions of God in their sleep. And so we're going to head all of that into uh, the next few months into chapter 12 and beyond, but I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. First, we have to figure out what happened in Antioch. So the three primary questions that we've been asking in this series are, what is the kingdom of God? How does it come? And what happens to us when we encounter the kingdom? And at Antioch, we see something happening that is sort of less about what takes place. And I, what I want to argue is and talk about a little bit this morning is how it unfolds, how it takes place. And we have to read a little bit between the lines. But sort of our guiding theme for this morning is the answer to the question, what is the kingdom of God? And what I want to say is that this morning, the kingdom of God is the presence of many hands at work with their God-given gifts in the midst of lots of moving pieces, inviting people to the experience of the love of God through the person of Jesus. That's the kingdom of, pick, kingdom of God picture that I want to paint for us this morning. How is it that a little group of Jesus followers became known as the Christians? How did they manage to stand out in such a large city like Antioch where basically nothing stood out? Like, you would not stand out for the color of your skin in Antioch. It was multinational. You would not stand out for how you dressed. It was multicultural. You would not stand out for how you worshipped. They worshipped all sorts of gods and cultic religions. How is it possible How can it be the case that a small group of very ordinary men and women like you and I, with no cultural power or political power or deep pockets or property of their own, became known as a group? Oh, those are the Christians. Those are the people that follow Christ. And more importantly, for our purposes as a little church on the west side of Columbus, Ohio, with no cultural power or political power or deep pockets or property of our own, how do we become a people that people point to and say, they've got something going on with them? Does that make sense? And listen, don't take this the wrong way. I'm not trying to say that we need to make a name for ourselves in Columbus. I don't really want anything to do with that. But what I'm really interested in is when people look at us in the way that we care for one another, and the way that we serve our city and our community, the way that we love each other, the way that we're diving deeper into the stories of our lives. I want people to be able to recognize, to say, man, those people, wow, what is going on there? Don't they like meet at the rec center? (laughs) Does that make sense? Okay. I think it comes down to four things. And these are sort of the four things that I wanna talk about this morning. Many hands, God-given gifts, lots of moving pieces, inviting people to the love of God. So first, let's talk about many hands. So, Mark opens up this section of his story by bringing us back to the event that happened a few chapters earlier. So, if you were with us a couple uh, months ago in our series, we talked about the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was the first martyr in the Christian faith. He's preaching the gospel to to, to political and religious leaders, and they drag him outside of the city and they stone him to death. And what happens as a result of that is that people begin to scatter for fear of being killed. But in that scattering, the good news of Jesus begins to spread as they scatter. And so we watch how after this event of Stephen's martyrdoms, they begin to scatter just as Jesus had said it would happen, and they scattered from Jerusalem, and the message went with them. And so Luke is picking up here, In our text, beginning in verse 19, he says this He says, So then, those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen, they made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews alone. But then there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking also to the Greeks and preaching the name of the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. So friends, at first the message comes only to the Jews, um, and they were Greek-speaking Jewish people, but then people who nobody even had heard of began proclaiming the gospel to the Greeks living in Antioch. So we know the names of people like Barnabas and Paul and Luke. But when Luke says, hey, the gospel also went to the Greeks in Antioch, he doesn't even name them. He just says they were from Cyprus and Cyrene. And they begin to wonder, these men from Cyprus and Cyrene, they begin to wonder if this is such good news for the Jewish people. I wonder what would happen if we shared it to the Greeks the people who are going down to Daphne for a party weekend, I wonder what kind of transformation could happen in their lives if we also shared with them the good news of Jesus. And again, at face value, this idea that Luke doesn't even record their names, it just feels like a little bit of a throwaway fact. But one of the interesting things and the beauty of this line is that there's, no, there's nobody sort of trying to start a ministry. It's not like somebody is like, is like going to the, even the leaders of the church and saying, hey, is it okay if we preach the good news to the Greeks? They just start doing it. Out of the overflow of their heart, they start saying, I think the Greeks need the message of Jesus. They didn't ask for permission. They just started preaching the gospel. The leaders of the churchmen like Peter who were in Jerusalem and Luke, who was traveling with Paul and Barnabas, they didn't even know their names. It's a little thing there. But the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. So these men from Cyprus and Cyrene, they were followers of Jesus. They shared the good news with the least likely people to accept it. And the hand of the Lord was on them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. And then the news reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem. So basically, people came back to Jerusalem and said, hey, something is happening in Antioch. You guys have to go check it out. Some wild things are happening there. And so the people in Jerusalem sent Barnabas to Antioch to join in the work that these no-named men had begun. And Barnabas gets there, and he's so encouraged by what he sees, And he offers encouragement back to them. He says, hey, keep going. Keep preaching the gospel. We're going to return to that, by the way. This encouragement that Barnabas gives. But as the numbers there in Antioch began to grow, and as people began to sort of flock to this newly found church, Barnabas looks around and says, this is way too much for me to handle. I need to go find Paul. I I can't disciple all these people. I can't lead all these people. I need some help. And so Barnabas travels to Paul's hometown of Tarsus and goes to look for Paul. Guys, he can't just call him up. He literally travels in a boat to Tarsus to find Paul, to bring him back to Antioch. And the passage says that Barnabas and Paul together spent a year there just teaching people the way of Jesus. Meanwhile, while Barnabas is looking for Paul in Tarsus, some other people come from Jerusalem and they show up to Antioch and they begin to share prophetically, by the way, we're going to come back to that, that there's a, there's a famine coming. The whole region is going to run out of food. And as you get established in Antioch, as, as you like grow as a church, you should set up a fund from among you as you are able and as you have means to do so to send a little bit of money down to Judea to help the church down there for food, because you guys in this big city, you're going to be fine. You're not going to starve, but your brothers and sisters in the outskirts of Jerusalem and Judea, they're going to starve if you don't take up an offering and send some money to them. Meanwhile, while all of that is happening, Barnabas finds Paul in Tarsus. He brings him back to Antioch. And they began the ministry of the next year of teaching and discipleship. Now, you're like, why are we doing all of this work? Why are you telling me all about this? I'm telling you all of this. I'm trying to paint this picture for you of how this unfolds. Is that the work of the kingdom comes through the hands of many people. Luke is about to turn his attention to talking primarily about Peter and Paul. These are like the people who get famous. These are the people whose stories that we hear, but part of what he's trying to do, he's trying to paint a picture of how many hands are touching the work of the kingdom as it's spreading. He's painting this picture of the presence of many hands at work in order to bring the kingdom into new places. And the temptation is for us to think that because we get the stories of just a few people that this is how church works. We think that we need like these church heroes or we need pastors to sort of like do everything or we need leaders to sort of do everything. And that's actually not the picture that we get in the early church of how things begin to spread. So friends, let me just like make this really practical and on the nose for us this morning. The work that we're doing in this city and in this church is never meant to be the work of a few. It's never meant to be the work of a few. We're trying to be a church that takes very seriously the idea that every single person who is oriented to this community needs to take on the role of a learner of Jesus. That's what disciple means. It just means a learner. So when we invite you to be a disciple of Jesus, all we're doing is to say, would you learn from Jesus together as a community? And our particular way of thinking about that and doing that is that we desire that everybody would would sort of lean into the work of noticing and nurturing the work of God in your own life, in the lives of the people around you, so that you can be an encouragement and and in the world around you so that you can bear witness of the work to people that don't yet know him. So as you grow in your awareness of what's happening of the work that God is in you or in your friends, in people in this community, you have a bit of a lens for watching how God might be at work all throughout our city. Does this make sense? That's at the center of what we're trying to do. What happens at Antioch in this story is meant to give us an example of what it looks like when there are many hands at work. And some are stories that get told, but mostly it's just a bunch of random people leaning into the invitation of God happening inside of them. So what happened at Antioch has everything to do with our life together here Because in the midst of your parenting and your day job in your CrossFit or your yoga studio or in the medical field, whatever is happening, there's something happening one layer underneath that. And it's happening because you carry the message of Jesus with you into all of those places. Whether it's yoga or CrossFit or work or, you know, I know some of you are in hospital situations. Some of you swing a hammer for a living. Some of you teach. Some of you are in administration. Wherever you are in our city, the hope is that you would carry the hope of Jesus with you in that place. Many hands make the kingdom of God go forth. So the kingdom of God comes through many hands, but the way that it comes is through many hands empowered by gifts that God gives each of us. Everything that we see unfolding in the book of Acts and all of the many hands working in all of these different areas of Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, like this is the context in the background. What we read here in Acts is sort of probably in Paul's idea and understanding when he writes a letter to another church in Corinth. And this is what he says there. He's using a metaphor of the human body to help them understand that the way that the kingdom of God goes forward is through many hands operating according to the gifts that God has given them. He writes to the people in Corinth. He says that, Brothers and sisters, I want you to know about the gifts of the Spirit. I want you to know about how God has gifted you. There are different kinds of gifts, Paul writes. And again, he's probably drawing on his experience of what he saw unfolding in Antioch and all around in those early days, he says there are different kinds of gifts, but they are all given to believers by the same Spirit. There are different ways to serve, but they all come from the same Lord. There are different ways that the Spirit works, but the same God is working in all of these different people. The Holy Spirit is given to each of us in a special way that is for the good of all. He goes on in verse 8. To some people, the spirit gives a message of wisdom. To others, the same spirit gives a message of knowledge. To others, the same spirit gives a gift of faith. To others, it's the gift of healing. To others, it's the power to do miracles. To others, the ability to prophesy. To others, he gives the ability to tell the different spirits at work among a community. To others, he gives the ability to speak in different kinds of languages that they didn't know before. And still to others, he gives the ability to explain what those languages say. All the gifts are produced one in the same spirit. He gives gifts to every person just as he decides. And he goes on to say, there is one body, but it has many parts But all its many parts make up one body, and it's the same with Christ. We were baptized by one spirit, and so that we are formed into one body. It it didn't matter whether we were Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free. We were all given the same spirit, so that the body is not made up of just one part. It has many parts. And what was happening in this church in Corinth is that some people were like, Giving particular gifts more importance. Oh man, that guy's a great teacher. We should just like let him do all the things. Or that guy, that gal over there, she's so good at hospitality. We should have her do everything. And so they were uplifting some gifts and they were downgrading other gifts. Because they felt like maybe the gift that you have in the body is like, not special. Anybody ever felt like that? I, I have certainly felt like that. Even as somebody who's spent like the, ta- the past 10 years sort of standing up in front of people proclaiming the gospel, there's, there's ways in which we all kind of feel like, hey, like, am I even needed here? So he goes on to say this. He says, suppose the foot says I'm not a hand and so I don't belong to the body. How foolish would that sound? By saying this, it can't stop being a part of the body. And suppose the ear says, well, I'm not an eye. I guess I'm not very important. (laughs) That sounds ridiculous, right? So I think Paul's making a really wonderful metaphor here. He's like, you can't just say that you're not important because you're not an eye or you're not an ear or you're not a foot. He says, God has placed each part in the body just as he wanted it to be. If all the parts were the same, how could there be a body? Like that would be really weird if we just walked around as an eye and as an ear. It doesn't make any sense. There's only one body that is made up of all of these many parts, and it constitutes the body of Christ in the world. And everyone is offering their gift to the project of participating in the kingdom of God. There are gifts of knowledge and gifts of faith and gifts of prophecy and gifts of teaching and administration and gifts of hospitality and gifts of generosity. There's gifts of shepherding and pastoring and apostolic gifting, which means you have this gift that you hold and then you are asked to take that gift somewhere else, which is why Hannah is preaching at another church in our city this morning. God, we we bless Hannah right now and just give her the Holy Spirit behind her words. She's exercising her apostolic gift in our city, guys. And we freely want to give that away. She's taking a piece of this community into another community, and she will pick up something there and bring it back to us. That's how the church is supposed to work. There are gifts of evangelism. There's All of these gifts are necessary in order to see what happened in Antioch, in order to see it happen here. We're going to need to become a people who exercise our gifts. Does this make sense? Are you guys with me? Okay. The kingdom of God goes forward with the presence of many hands operating with the God-given gifts. And what it means to be a part of the body of Christ is to use the gifts that God has given you by the Spirit to be a part of expanding the kingdom of God. Using your gifts given by the Spirit means that whatever part you play in this community or how this community is serving our city or how you might show up in serving our community means that first you have to have a little bit of understanding of who God has made you to be and what it is that he has put in your hands to bless other people with. That's why we focus so much on spending 10 minutes of silence every time we gather. We're trying to help you pay attention to God's work inside of you so that you know how God has gifted you and equipped you to then give that away externally. It means spending a little time reflecting on how God has made you. It means spending a little time in spiritual friendship or spiritual direction, getting underneath the things that bring life and joy to you and other things that bring frustration and irritation. You don't need to be put in a situation to use your God-given gifts in a way that's always frustrating. That's not how you're designed. For some of you, like getting up here to teach would be like terrible. You would hate it. I look forward to this. I love this. Why? Because it's the gift that God's given me. It brings joy and lightness to my life. So paying attention to that lets you exercise your gifts out to the world. It means being in community enough and being vulnerable enough to to get some feedback about what others see in you. And it means not being a lone ranger trying to do something all by yourself. Guys, we need to do things together, to pair up, to support one another. So to be in the kingdom of God means that you and I are part of one body and that you are another part of the body and that this body all together makes up one. And friends, listen, Well, we don't show up with our gifts to do our part or to play our role, not only do we miss the gift of participation, but the whole body begins to sort of break down a little bit. Like just imagine if you've had an injury, I know some of you are runners. I know at least one of you is a runner. Michael and I were talking recently about running. And it's like when a body part is not working well, like your knee goes out, your ankle's hurting. It's like you can't do the thing. And that's how it is in the body of Christ. So friends, look back with me again at what happens at Antioch. I want you to look at all the many hands exercising different gifts. There are men who are spreading the good news. There's Barnabas who shows up with enthusiasm and encouragement, and he gives these men the gift of his encouragement. And then Paul comes, and Paul is teaching and discipling and pastoring, and he is this apostolic gift, and he stays a year with Barnabas. And then somebody with a prophetic gift comes from Jerusalem and gives a prophetic word about a famine. And then the other people who have the gift of generosity and resources, they bring those resources together and they send money back to Judea so that those people don't go hungry. And then in Acts chapter 13, says this. He says, now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, uh, a guy named Manain, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them. And so they, uh, after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on Barnabas and Saul, and Barnabas and Saul get on a boat, and they go someplace else. This is how the Holy Spirit works. He's like just moving pieces all across like that. The kingdom of God is the presence of many hands working with the gifts that have been given to them by the Spirit with lots of moving pieces pointing to the person of Jesus. Lots of moving pieces. This, friends, is where I think we get lost. It's the lots of moving pieces part that I think hangs us up a little bit. This past um, summer, as part of my sabbatical, I went on a little friendship trip to Mexico City. I had a free plane ticket. Another guy had a free place to stay. And so we went down to Mexico City and and, uh, we ate at some really yummy restaurants. I really love food and that was really a gift as part of my sabbatical. We were there for like three days. And in that time, I met a new friend and this new friend's name is Damien. And used to work at a really fancy Michelin three-star restaurant in Chicago um, called Aletia, and uh, he was now in Mexico City, and he's opening up a restaurant there. And, um, sorry, it's called Alenia, and it's the only Michelin three-star restaurant in Chicago. Some of you are like, I don't even know what Michelin three-stars means. It just means it's a really yummy place to eat. So Damien's job for two years, his entire job, was that he was the last person to touch the plate before it went to the table. Like he stood in this position in a high-end restaurant known as The Pass. And The Pass is usually this long stainless steel surface where the plates would come from the kitchen and they would get one final look over whoever happens to hold that position during the shift. And the chef at The Pass will hold in their hand a small white cloth dipped in a little bit of water and vinegar And they would like wipe the edge of the plate if something spilled on that. Some of you like are familiar with this because you watch television, Master Chef, or any of those things. There's somebody standing at the pass receiving the plates, wiping the plates and handing it to the waiter or the waitress for delivery to the table. So the person at the pass has one job and it's to quickly eye every single plate coming off the line. To make sure that it looks ready to be passed to that waiter or that waitress for delivery to the table. It's the last person from the kitchen to get an eye on that plate. And at a Michelin star restaurant, it's not out of the question for the person at the pass to examine seven or eight hundred plates in a given evening. But just looking, is this okay? Let's wipe. Boom, boom. They never touch a spatula. They never cook any bit of food, they never see a guest, they have one job. They never simmer a sauce, they never saute a vegetable, they have one job. One of the most beautiful parts of a restaurant that most people never get to see and even fewer people even think about is that there are all of these different stations in a restaurant. There's prepping and dicing and slicing and People preparing their one thing, and it contributes to the whole. Not everybody is a chef. Not everybody is a sous chef. Not everybody is a pastry chef or a sommelier. That's the person who manages the wine. By the way, fancy word for winekeeper everybody has their part to play. And when everybody plays their part, something really beautiful happens. But there's a lot of moving pieces. And this is how the life of a church works, by the way. Lots of moving pieces happening. This is how a community of Jesus followers works. And in my experience of leading and being a pastor and a spiritual director, it is that Most of us never really bring our hands to the work and we never implement our gifts because sometimes it's really hard to know where you fit in. Anybody ever had that experience? Just sort of like, how how do I fit here? What am I supposed to do? I think that's most people's experience. Church, guys, listen, it's okay church is weird it's this what we're doing on a sunday morning like more and more and more culturally speaking like if somebody were to show up in this place and they're be like what what's happening here it's like christian karaoke you're like what what's what is this And I think what that lends us towards is this reality that most people show up to the life of a church. just like I don't know what to do. I don't know how to fit in. How do I belong here? What does it look like for me to grow here, to love here, to discover what God is wanting me to do here? And some of you will be more disposed to taking care of one another as an extension of God's gifts into this community. Others of you will have gifts that help move us outward into our community and our city. Some of you have resources to share. Others of you have no resources. And you're just like trying to figure out how to pay rent. That's okay. We can all do this together. We are one body operating in many different parts. Some of you would take the love of God uh, with you and and try to get in touch at Children's Hospital next week because that's where you're going to work or on the Solomon Avenue, or into the home of somebody who's dying, or into a classroom, or a room where someone has just been diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. Friends, we have people all throughout the city carrying the hope of Jesus. And the question that I want us to think about is, what is the unique gift that God has asked you to steward? Your one job that God is asking you to, to put your hand to. And all of this is meant to work that ultimately at the center is the person of Jesus and the love of God, period. That's what we're trying to do, friends. So let me just close just with something really practical. It's no secret that we're trying to do something a little different in the life of a church. I don't know if you've noticed that. So like 10 minutes of silence on the front side, that feels a little different. We don't gather corporately every single week. That feels a little different. But guys, this is not because we're trying to like be different. What we're trying to do is we're trying to create contexts where we deeply, deeply experience the love of God and then we learn how to give that away. And so in order for us to do that, we have to become a people that know the love of God deep inside to spend time with God, to ask God to speak to you, God, how do you want to use me? How do you want me to show up? And then to gain the courage to be able to implement that in our community and in our city. Does this make sense? This is how the kingdom of God comes. Many hands, the gift of God, lots of moving pieces for the love of God to expand.